Hi, I'm John Coe, and welcome to Icons of DC Area Real Estate, a one-on-one interview show highlighting the backgrounds and career trajectory of leading luminaries in the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. The purpose of the show is to highlight their backgrounds and their experiences and some interesting stories about their current business as well as their past, and uh, to cite some things that you might take away, both from educational standpoint as well as lessons learned in the industry, and some amusing and sometimes interesting background stories. So I'm hoping that you will enjoy the show. Today on the podcast, I'm essentially moderating a panel of real estate marketing executives, all of whom have been have various careers of 20 plus years in, the, in their industry. My guests are Vicki Kane, who is Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communication for Eagle Bank, Tracy Allen, Corporate Director of Client Relations for ECS Limited, and Tasha Stansel, Vice President of Business Relations at Urban Pace. So all three are in different parts of our business, so I'll give different perspectives. I've known these ladies for about 20 years and marvel at their adaptability to adjust themselves and their company's messaging as the real estate markets constantly change. We explore their positions now and their career arcs, their roles at their companies, how they got into the business, their unique backgrounds, providing their character, the role of women in the industry, the effects of the pandemic on their companies, and some lessons learned during their careers. So without further ado, here are my friends, Vicki, Tracy, and Tasha. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for joining me on Icons of DC Area Real Estate today. Thank you. So I'm going to uh, want to talk about your roles in the industry and ask each of you to give a short snippet high level of what you do, who you you work for, and just a little bit of an overview. And then we'll go into a more deep dive after that. So Vicki, why don't you kick it off? Okay. Well, thank you, John. And it's good to be here today. And hi, Tracy and Tasha. I am currently the Chief Marketing Officer for Eagle Bank. We're a community business-focused bank based in Bethesda, Maryland, with 20 branches around the DMV area. I've been there for about a year. But it was an easy segue into this particular organization because my background is in commercial real estate. So I have about 25 years of experience with marketing and communications in commercial real estate with all different forms from enclosed shopping malls to mixed use retail centers to downtown commercial office space to multifamily residential, and now being on the finance side of all of that and still working with all the same players, but obviously providing different service. That's kind of my background and where I am today. Great. Great. Thank you. Tracy? Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, My name is Tracy Allen. I'm with ECS. It stands for Engineering Consulting Services. I've been here 20 years this year, so 2020, 20 years. Awesome. We are a geotech environmental construction testing firm. We do all different sectors of in the industry, healthcare, um, federal, transportation, commercial, anything that has dirt, we're there. We love it. Bring it on. And then we have 65 offices across the country and continuing to grow. We're growing as we speak. So I'm very happy to share our story today. Tasha? 
Hello, everyone. Uh, John, thanks for having me, and I love being associated with these two fabulous ladies. So I am currently the VP of Business Relations for Urban Pace. We focus on new construction, sales, marketing, and leasing. We're based in D.C. and have been sort of geographically focused in the DMV. But about four years ago, we were acquired by Long & Foster. So our platform and reach has expanded with that relationship. And subsequently, we were purchased by Berkshire Hathaway. But as a brand of our own, Urban Pace reports directly to um, the executive team at at Long & Foster. Uh, We operate as our own business. Um, So we focus on all new construction, development. Our, Our clients are developers. So we help them with their real estate decisions in terms of new construction condos, multifamily apartment buildings. And we can take everyone from a piece of dirt or a building they're looking to, to renovate all the way through the advisory services, the sales, marketing, leasing, and get your building either sold completely or leased up. Um, I have over 20 years experience in the real estate industry. Uh, a lot of my background is in the development side. So this has been mm-hmm. a nice transition over to Urban Pace to have developers as clients. I know, you know definitely where they're coming from. Well, thank you, Tasha. So let's uh, dive a little deeper into your backgrounds and uh, what brought you where you are and uh, a little bit about your career arc, if we can. So I'm going to start again back to Vicki. You've had the most varied career path of the group. How has your career evolved and why did you decide to move into other segments of the business from retail to tech to office, mixed use, and now to finance? You tended to work for large organizations typically. So I'm not going to go through the whole recitation of companies. Maybe you can kind of give a, a high-level overview of your your career as you as you came into it, and then talk about the roles and how they've changed over your career. Sure, be happy to. Well, I started Great. in the retail sector uh, with Learner Corporation, and this was back in the day when shopping malls were the most lucrative, I guess you would say, um, asset class. And it was a wonderful experience to, for the first time, really understand what goes on within marketing within the commercial real estate industry. It's not something that you're going to learn in the the classroom and and through the college studies. So it was a great opportunity to get my arms around it. I think like a lot of people, you get out of college, you have your degree, you think you may know what interests you, but get in and, and roll up your sleeves and get engaged and start learning about it and seeing what clicks and what feels right to you know what interests you, you don't really know. And I feel very fortunate that commercial real estate was a really good click for me. And I've really enjoyed being in this industry for as long as I have and the opportunities that it presented. So I did have a, you know a, a lot of experience with uh, various real estate companies in the DC market, all local both public and private companies. And, you know, a lot of the, the moves that I made throughout my career were for the opportunity of continuing to grow my skill set, grow the experience level that I have within the industry, harness new opportunities, learn from new people. And, and it just was a curiosity that throughout once, you know, I, I was with a company and, and maybe working on a certain asset class and started to get comfortable with it, I wanted to learn more about the other asset classes. You go to a conference and you hear about all of them, but being able to actually touch and work on each one of those was something that I wanted to do. And, and often that takes going from you know one company to another company that may have a different focus. And that's really what I followed throughout my career. And it, and it was very fortunate that it landed me with such great companies throughout the DC market. Walk me through. You started at Learner and then 
then you went into to Carl Freeman. Freeman, is that was that your next step? Yeah, I started at Lerner, and that was really my first experience in the regional shopping mall environment. And it was great. I was there for about five or six years. And then I did. The next move after that was to Carl Freeman and Associates. And that was neighborhood shopping centers, um, commodity-based. It was a whole different environment for me. Great experience. And then from there, I went on to Federal Realty Investment Trust. And that was when mixed use was really taking hold market and had a great opportunity to work with them on developing some of their mixed use projects that, you know, most of the listeners here will will know familiar Bethesda Row and then had the opportunity with with Federal to also work on the beginning stages of Assembly Square up in Boston and Somerville, Massachusetts, Somerville, excuse me, Massachusetts, and then as well, Santana Row in San Jose, California. So really working on, in, in my opinion, some of the best mixed-use development projects that were going on at their time. So that was a, a great experience. And from there, I actually segued into um, commercial office space. Federal had a very small ancillary portion of the portfolio that was commercial office space. So I didn't touch it that much. So I made the move at that point to First Potomac Realty Trust and uh, focused on downtown commercial office space. And I think what's important too is it's not just the experience of going from one company that might focus on one sector of the industry, but it's also the timing of what the industry is going through when you're moving to those companies and what those individual companies might be facing and the challenges that they're going through. And I've had the opportunity where I've joined companies during significant strategic shifts or changes in leadership. And so to me, I found that to be very rewarding because it's almost at that point when a lot of companies start to have a little bit of a clean slate, you know, that that blank sheet of paper, because new leadership is going to invoke new ideas and new processes. And so I was was fortunate enough to do that a few times, and that was really great. You also went into the public sector when you joined Federal. So vis-a-vis, so both Lerner and Carl Freeman are private companies. That's right. So that's a, that's a different mi- mindset than the going into the public company. And your role, I imagine that changed quite a bit when you went into the public company environment. It did. That's that. The communications really took hold. And that's where it was really became an important part of my role in marketing. And so the big difference that I found on the public company side in my role was the additional of, of communications function. So on the public company, I started to work a lot more closely with the investor relations role, with the executive team as it relates to making sure that all communications, whether internal and external, all of the messaging and the talking points were consistent and succinct across all audience lines. So when somebody is going out and speaking publicly, whether it's to a group of investors or whether it's to a, a potential tenant or whether it's to a JV partner, it doesn't matter what it, you know, who the audience is, that the messaging is the same and that there's no confusion as to you know, what the organization is about and how we should be speaking about it publicly. Going into a public company is really where the communication side becomes much more important as a part of the marketing function. You then shifted uh, into the tech industry after leaving uh... First Potomac, is that correct? And to CoStar, wasn't that your next step? I did. I, I was at CoStar um, for a little under a year. It wasn't a long stop for me. 
it is a tech company, yes. But the function that I was doing was media relations and still, mm-hmm. still very much tied to communications, messaging, talking points, positioning the organization in front of the right media audiences with the right messaging and trying to further the um, exposure of CoStar, not only within the market that already had foot, a foothold, but in their expanding and emerging markets as well. And so it was a little bit of a unique role at a time when CoStar was looking to get that additional kind of lift from a PR platform. And, um, and that's, that's what I did there. So it was tech tied to the commercial real estate industry, but the function was still communications. And back into more traditional real estate with JVG companies. Is that, was that the next step after that? Yeah, that, that was the pinnacle, I would say. That was where it all came together. Every discipline that I had learned throughout my career, I was able to actually deploy at JBG Smith, for lack of a better word. It was just such an amazing time. I joined before the merge with Bornado, before the birth of JBG Smith as a public company. It was um, a great time to come into JBG Smith. And, and with that opportunity, I was able to help you know, guide them through the merger process for marketing and communications of merging the JVG platform and the in the Bornado, building teams to support this new company that was about triple or, or four times the size of what JVG was alone before the merge, taking it to a public company and introducing you know the the executive team to you know a, a new side of the business and understanding how investor relations works and taking the group up to NASDAQ for the initial listing. It was just a lot of a startup environment, if you will. And um, it was the most breakneck pace I think I've ever worked, but it was extremely rewarding. And it was something that I don't know could ever be replicated. Because how often is that going to happen in your career? The irony is interesting that the last podcast episode I just recorded and just released this week was with Matt Kelly, the CEO of JBG Smith. Yeah. And he talks about that experience quite a bit. <laughs> and then I'm just to interrupt you a little bit, but then he segues into the biggest transaction in the history of Washington real estate. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, that's right. And so it was, you know, we successfully got through the merge and came out as JBG Smith with all new branding, identity, messaging. It was, it was a new company, existing leadership, which was phenomenal. But you know, everything else about the company from, I would at least say from the marketing you know, positioning outside of what you do for the actual buildings, but from a corporate level, that was all new for JBG Smith. And yes, right after the merge, uh, you know, it was literally within months of feeling like, okay, we can take a breath. And Amazon announced their HQ2 pursuit, which as we all know, JBG Smith went after very strong and did a phenomenal job and, you know, won one of the largest real estate deals of, of the year, if not the largest real estate deal of the in year. In history, maybe in this country, in this region, perhaps. Yes, yes yeah. in this region. So it was never a dull moment at JVG Smith. And that was invigorating and exciting. And, you know, every day there's just something new to tackle. And with having leadership with open minds and Mm -hmm. wanting to try new things and willing 
to do things differently than maybe we've seen them done traditionally in the real estate market was very refreshing, not only for me, but for my entire team. So really being able to step back and kind of back to that clean sheet of paper outlook, but really stepping back and saying, okay, this is, this is the birth of a new organization. You know, what is this going to look like and feel mm-hmm. like? going to sound like? Um, what is the personality? What is the culture? And to be part of all of that while it's being developed is, is really a unique opportunity. So you grew a lot with that experience then, I'm sure. I did. Then uh, you decided to take a short break, I understand, and then back into the fire again with uh, joining where you are now at Eagle. So talk about that transition a little bit. It was a it was a very short break. I will say that I intended to take more time off for myself and to kind of reset. And it turned out to be a three month kind of break, and instead of what I was hoping was going to be a little bit longer, because of this opportunity with Eagle Bank. So Eagle Bank, I you know knew about in the industry because you know they are a business bank for the commercial real estate industry and work very closely in commercial real estate and commercial and industrial. And so the opportunity for me when I saw Eagle Bank was looking for this head of marketing role in communications, I looked at where Eagle Bank was in their growth roles. And Susan Reel, who's the CEO now, an amazing female leader, CEO, one of the few CEO, female CEOs of a bank, especially in our market. So, you know, that was interesting to me as well, because it, it's kind of, breaking some boundaries, not boundaries, somewhat groundbreaking to to see a female leader. And she was the CEO at, uh, excuse me, the COO at Eagle Bank for over 20 years. And to see her now take over the role as CEO. And so that was very compelling to me as well. So a female CEO in a role that is not typically led by females. And the fact that it was, again, the audience and all of my clients are still commercial real estate on the external side. So it just felt like a really good fit. And because of the trajectory and the changes that they're going through and the growth, a lot of it just resonated with some of my past experiences. Eagles had some recent challenges with prior leadership. And so I assume you've had some transitional issues to deal with there a little bit because of the change in leadership there. That's absolutely right. And that happens in any organization that has, mm-hmm. you know, any challenging times behind them. I, you know, I, I meant to look this quote up before we actually got on this call because I don't remember the data, but we've all heard it before, right? It takes years to build up a reputation and to build mm-hmm. up yes. and it takes, you know, seconds to damage it. And it's all in how the yes. company does that. And by having people on staff that are experienced with it, that know what resources to bring in to help handle that. And it's okay. And, and I didn't, I have noticed that over, over my, my years of working with the different organizations. A lot of that comes down to leadership itself and how willing they are mm-hmm. to open up and say, we need additional resources. This may be a little bit bigger than what we have right now to be able to overcome it. And everybody, I would think every company has growth challenges, just business-related challenges throughout, you know, throughout the, the years and bringing those additional resources and knowing when to do it and feeling comfortable with that. It's really interesting because not all leaders 
are as comfortable with saying, yeah, we have a little bit of a problem and it may be bigger than what we can do internally. That's excellent. Uh, we'll get into that a little more deeply as we develop the conversation here. So let's move on to Tracy. Tracy, you've been with ECS for a long time, 20 years. How has your role changed and why did you stay there so long? How have you grown within that role? I mean, I called you, I don't know, a year ago or so. I said, here's an opportunity, Tracy. You might think about this. You've been here a long time. Maybe you might think about something different. You just said, no, I'm really happy here and I'm doing well. So I'm going to stick around. So tell me why. So I will say I am super loyal. I started out the industry in a firm called Rolf Jensen, which is a fire protection engineering firm. And I was there eight years and really had no gumption to leave because I was very happy. And then ECS came along and I ended up playing in a golf tournament with this vice president from ECS. And literally like the next week he said, let's meet for lunch. And I thought, sure, we'll meet for lunch. And come to find out they gave me an offer that I couldn't refuse. I've been here 20 years. And I can say that I have had people reach out to me over the years and say, hey, are you ready to make a move? Is, is it time? And honestly, I've, I haven't even entertained it because they've been so good to me. And I've been very lucky because I went to school as a marketing major with a business BS degree as well. And everywhere that I had gone prior, but not in this industry, I started out just trying to find a job that had the word marketing in it. And marketing was not a very positive word. Marketing was like the evil word when it came to getting some of the technical folks out. And so when I came to ECS, um, marketing is a very positive, happy word, a very supportive word that we are there to help the engineers get out and about and help help to send a message out to our clients of who we are and what we do. And um, we make it an easy transition for our engineers to get out and be in front of our clients. But I actually started out as the business development person for the Chantilly office, which is the largest office of the company, 250 people. And I loved it. I loved it. I I was involved on all these committees with um, professional associations. I'd bring the engineers with me to go out to meetings. It was a lot of fun. I also did marketing functions as well. I put together proposals. I took care of um, anything that had anything to do with our trade shows. And then out of the blue, I'm at working at a conference in California at a, at a trade show. And I get a call and they said, the board of directors would like to know if you'd like to be the director of corporate marketing for the company. And I'm like, sure, why not? And I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and so I left my role um, in the office location and I moved to the corporate side and basically um, was in charge of our brand as far as like what Vicky was saying, messaging making sure that we're consistent across all the offices, coordinating all of our trade shows, talking with all of our business development team, making sure that we're consistent on message, but then also really being out and about. So I was on 10 professional associations at the same time I was doing all this. Wow. I know I'm coming a crazy person. I, I enjoy it. 10. I get, That's a lot. I get pumped <laughs> up. And then my role changed during COVID, which is kind of exciting because I found that I'm actually a better, I enjoy being out and about. That's really where I shine. For me to be behind the desk, kind of coordinating everything and dealing with a lot of our branding issues and any like signature blocks and a lot of the 
functions that I'm really not in front of the client. It wasn't as good of a fit anymore. I felt like, you know, if I could pick my perfect job, I would be out in front of clients and I'd be actually bringing in work nationally versus just locally or regionally. I really want to use my network of all these uh, national associations, national boards to really bring in work for the company. They said, okay, isn't that great? I mean, they gave me the job, the perfect job again. (laughs) So here I am 20 years, very happy. I see myself making this my complete career and wouldn't change it for the world. They're really fortunate to have you. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, the, uh, the growth that you've, had in the 20 years there and that you haven't left that's that says a lot as far as loyalty but you know it sounds like you've grown though internally you've learned a lot yes with all those different associations you were involved in them giving you the opportunities you wanted so that's that's interesting so tasha uh when i met you you worked for monument realty led by michael darby who interestingly i just interviewed and he will be he'll be a future guest on our podcast. It's uh, it was interesting talking to him a little bit about what you went through uh, right after I met you. You were flying high with the Ottergate opening when we met, and then all yeah. of a sudden, 2008 came along, and boy, that changed the market and the world changed process. suddenly, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then you moved into uh, into brokerage with CBRE, and then on to where you are now. And I'd like to understand a little bit about the evolution from the development side of the business into the brokerage side and you know how those changed your role uh, thought process. Yeah. And I think it's it's always interesting to see, you know, people's journeys and paths. And I think Tracy and, and Vicky um, both spoke to like looking for new opportunities and ex, you know, another experience and how you, you can grow your own skill set, add to that. And Tracy, you know, was lucky enough to get that within one firm and and uh, Vicky and I had opportunities with a variety of different firms to do that. And I do feel like every you know, position I've been in and where I've transitioned, it's been to, you know, make my toolkit even better, right? And, and expand mm-hmm. and have some more challenges. So I started at um, Monument when, gosh, right, right after they had rebranded. And that was such a, a great and exciting time. I was the corporate marketing manager. I too started at an engineering company. And that's when I first met Tracy as a marketing coordinator. Um, and I transitioned to corporate marketing within Monument. And um, I think it was a great opportunity. And the value that Monument, that's particularly Jeff and Michael put on marketing, was great. And it, you know, having that leadership from the top down to say, like, marketing is a good thing. It's not a bad word, right? It's, it's exciting. And, and that's our brand that we need to be proud of. And we need to be consistent with our messaging and how we get that across, whether it be in the press or our marketing materials. So that was, that was my first role there. And it seemingly grew you know, I got exposure to office development, marketing, multifamily when we started doing more of the condo business and um, that type of thing. So I had a lot of experience and a variety of roles that I played within the firm um, on the marketing side. And, you know, at one point, our marketing team was five people strong. And then it kind of whittled down to just me after the world changed. And when Lehman went bankrupt, they were our biggest you know, partner, financial partner. So we scaled back tremendously. At our high point, we were over 70 people. And, you know, our challenges at that point were, were growing pains that we grow so quickly. And yeah. I'm like, oh, consistency with our branding and all that was, was a challenge for me. But it was exciting, too, to be like, oh, we have another project. What about this? Which marketing agency are we going to use? What, you know, what, you know, what's the pri- priority first? You know, this office building or this condo development? You know, so mm-hmm. to Vicky's 
point, you know, you're, you've got so many things going on, but it excites you and it makes you just want to do better. And, you know, you're working so much, but I loved every minute of it. It was really great. I, I owe a lot to Michael and Jeff for what they taught me over the years that we all worked together. And then, you know, we went through some tough times, like lean, lean machine. We got through that very creative with how we approach stuff, you know, smaller budgets. How do we get out of some of the tough positions we were in? Well, we got through it and, you know, we're up on the upward swing, um, coming back through. Um, and I was approached by a team at CBRE to come over and run their um, internal marketing team, which sounded really excited, exciting to me to actually come in, do marketing, work with a very large firm, have you know a different platform of resources and manage people. I had never really done that. So it was a good opportunity for me to grow uh, my skill set for management and working on all aspects of you know, real estate. So yes, there were, you know, developer clients, but there are retail clients, you know, the investment banking team, all sorts of different aspects of the, the CBRE business platform. So that was exciting. I worked with all those different business um, lines, supporting them. I managed a team at the high point of 12 people. So it's basically like having my own sort of marketing agency within um, CBRE. I had, a, you know, communication specialists, proposal writers, graphic designers. So um, it was a great way to sort of get the experience of managing a team, directing and leading and growing my leadership skills, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, so I was there for a few years doing that and then was approached by Urban Pace about an opportunity to come over and lead their business development efforts, uh, manage the research team there and, you know, just have that creative side. I do all our sort of um, uh, marketing pitches and materials and from that perspective, it's a nice blend of the marketing and also the people side. I've always been a very outgoing person, love interacting with people, whether it be, you know, clients or internal clients or external clients. I really enjoy that. And, and having the FaceTime, which Tracy also mentioned, is um, a nice balance. So I have the internal creative side that I'm working with our agencies and our team internally on, on different uh, marketing branding pieces, but I also have that external FaceTime with our clients as well, being in pitches and presentations and such. So that's sort of how my career has evolved to where I am at this point. So the difference between working at a development firm and a brokerage firm, expand on that just a little bit. How, how did you see that, you know, that differ for you? In the grand scheme that, you know, the development, that's kind of the top of the phone pole, right? Your team is the one sort of driving a lot of the process, making the decisions. You've got the either the, the financial backing or the financial partners that make those lead decisions on, on projects moving forward. So from that side of the business, there was um, a lot of times we were making the decisions and sort of leading the, the charge and pushing back a little bit on vendors and agencies to say like, we, you know, this isn't right where we need it to be. And I think I learned a lot of that creative side and how to push some boundaries when my time at Monument. Let's do things a little bit differently. Oh, a marketing brochure always looks like this. No, we want to do something a little bit different. Let's push our, our creative team and see what we can do for a different type of event or a branded piece, that kind of thing. So being creative in all aspects of my career was really great, but I helped. We really pushed that envelope when I was at Monument and the development side, and I learned a lot from that. So transitioning over to the brokerage side, those were my clients then. So I had the advantage of coming to the table to say, I know what you expect and I know how you're thinking about something. So let, let me be a good partner and let's come up with something creative. You know, have you thought about doing it this way? I've tried it like this in a certain project, but this is a different neighborhood or a different type of, you know, use for a building. Let's, let's see how we can do something differently. So I thought that was a great way for me to bring my skills to be an asset for our clients and our team over at CBRE. 
So we're part of different brainstorming with our team and coming up with fun ideas and pitching it internally to the brokers that were working with the developers. So it was a nice transition and I thought I could bring, you know, I learned a lot from the development side and all that I've learned there. It's been a great, you know, transition into all the other positions I've had in my career. Interesting. So you you then understood what your trying what your clients internal clients needed to deliver to to their exactly. clients basically. Exactly. That's interesting. So each of you have uh, different roles and clients per se. My perception of your roles as real estate marketing professionals is that your priorities are one communications both internal and external, two business development usually indirect or promotional. And three, internal guidance or interfacing with the public. Uh, what I'd like is each one of you to kind of dive into those three issues. And uh, Vicki, why don't you start with communications, internal and external? Talk a little bit more about that and that role that you that you're, you're, uh, you offer to your company. Absolutely. And you're right with the external and internal. And you continue to hear us say that throughout this conversation. But we really do serve both our internal clients as well as our external clients or partners. From a communications perspective, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, it really starts from top down and the desire to make sure and the understanding that succinct, well put together communication that speaks the company's you know, language that holds true to the brand values, that talks about the strategy moving forward, that pulls upon the experiences of the company and the individuals who make up that organization. But having all of that communication succinctly put together so that it doesn't matter where you are in the organization, if you go to a family holiday dinner and somebody says, oh, I heard that you work at Eagle Bank. What's that all about? You hope that they're going to give the same you know, response and answer and story about what is, what is the bank, what, what's important about the bank that somebody would give on the investor side or somebody would give on the brokerage side or somebody would give on, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the organization, but communication to flow through and empowering your employees to have the right tools in order to communicate effectively. So they need to know what the messaging is. They need to know what the strategy of the company is. Employees are going, they're some of your best ambassadors, brand ambassadors that that we have. And they're hungry for information and they're going to feel more empowered and more confident and more comfortable with talking about the organization if they're actually given the tools and resources to do it effectively. I've never met anybody who wants to go out and say something wrong about the company. Oh. So do you have internal training that you have for communication and, and sharing? Or I mean, I assume that you have internal meetings to present, okay, this is what our message is and this is what we need to say, you know, particularly with some of the concerns that Eagles had to deal with over the last couple of years. I imagine there's some internal discussion with regard to how the how we message this and share information to the community outside. So yeah. internal okay. direction to share externally, in essence. That's exactly right. And, and like I said, it does start with, you know, the top of the house, usually the executive team who is, that's their role is driving the strategy, setting the strategy, 
for the organization. But having a seat at the table when you're running communications and marketing is really important to hear that firsthand and to hear Mm -hmm. how the leaders are talking about the organization, how they're talking about future growth opportunities or future challenges, how they're talking about what, what are the ethos that makes up the organization? What is the culture that makes up with the organization? All of those are really important factors in going into setting the messaging. You need to have the right tone with the right messaging and the right words, and it needs to feel authentic, and it needs to be transparent. And so starting with the executive team, and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's how the sausage is made. You're sitting there and you're, you're you know, taking notes and you're, you're trying to listen to who and who, and then something will spark, a little nugget will spark. And you're like, that's the one, that's it. That's the piece that the the missing piece that maybe the external audience doesn't know about us that would really help us to better tell the story or to help us uh, more quickly in our growth objectives. And and so it's really being able to sit back, listen, digest, understand the company from a strategic positioning, a future growth positioning, a culture positioning, and being able to then, you know, put all of that together in, in a storytelling way, if you will, and then massage that storytelling for each one of the audiences, because the story that we tell the investor community is going to be a little bit different. The message is the same, but the words, the data, the proof point are going to be different when you're speaking to the investor than if you were going and, you know, speaking to a group of brokers. So it's just different and making sure that the team itself, and I mean, the internal marketing and communication team is available and open for those internal clients. And and I bet Tasha can speak to this from being on the CBRE side. Your internal clients, there's quite often, you're getting a call at 10 o'clock and they've got a pitch at 11 that just came up and or a, a something or they have an investor meeting that just came and they need your attention and your expertise to help them build that message and build that material so that they're prepared to best represent themselves and the organization in an hour by already having a seat at the table and understanding how the organization works again and what is the priority of the organization it helps to be able to all of a sudden go okay i need to drop everything and in try to put this story together, we already have assets to work with. And so it helps that process. Interesting. It's the flow of communication internally and externally that needs to be guided as well as coordinated, as well as interpreted. It seems to me it's, there's a lot to it. (laughs) So it kind of reinforces your role without your role kind of pulling it all together there would be inconsistency more than likely. Is that, is that your experience? I mean, assuming that you're away from it for some reason, then all of a sudden you come back into it and say, "Uh Oh, we're not quite saying what needs to be said here. Is that. Absolutely. That's right. It's the consistency, but I'll also go back to that empowering. the They're going to any employee that's going to publicly, again, no matter what the audience is, it could be a business partner and it could be on a panel for an event. Nobody is going to feel comfortable speaking publicly or passionately 
about their organization or about the project they're working on, if they're nervous that they're not sure what it is that they can say, and more importantly, in a public company, but you can't say. Yeah, right. People are having to to go into those situations very metered and be worried about saying the wrong thing. They're going to hold back. And so you're going to miss really relevant opportunities to push the message and make sure that you're, you're capitalizing on every opportunity that comes your way to tell your story and to highlight on, on the key you know, messages that are really important for the organization to move it forward. Yes, it can go sideways very, very quick. And I can tell you there is nothing worse. And I'm sure Tracy and, and Tasha have been through this. There is nothing worse then an article comes out and somebody, let's say, I'll use the example now on the development team, there's a quote and they shared something. They didn't do prep work ahead of time. They didn't reach out to the department to say, what is the current messaging? What do I need to avoid? What learning call next week? What's included in that script? I don't want to say something that hasn't been already publicly disclosed. They don't do that due diligence ahead of time. Something comes out in the paper not only is a bad reflection on the organization, you've never seen somebody sweat so bad so fast when you go into their office and they're terrified because it's in print. It's now living forever. And maybe they have said something that could be a little bit damaging to the organization or to their own reputation or to their career path. And like I said, nobody wants to be in that position. And so we're here to help them and make sure that they have the tools that they need so that they can avoid those situations. Very interesting. So let's move on to business development. And Tracy, talk a little bit more about that aspect of your of your job, of your business. So I just have to jump on Vicky really quick and just say I I totally agree everything that you said because my previous role within ECS was dealing a lot with the branding and just external messaging and really trying to um, make sure that we are consistent across 65 offices, if you can imagine. That's a lot of work. I have to tell a story. So there was, we had a manager's meeting where we fly in people and we meet for like two days and I'd see somebody across the room with like an ECS shirt that completely had the wrong logo or the wrong colors. And I just lose my mind and I <laughs> be like, where'd you get that? And they'd see me walking and they'd like avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I totally get the whole, you know, you've got to be consistent. The with brand police. <laughs> yeah, so I actually had a um, call with, we have um, office administrators that in some of our smaller offices, we don't have marketing or BD folks. And so we had a call and um, I actually gave them a little squishy branding deputy badge. <laughs> and it's like a stress ball, but it's a, it's a chair's badge. And I said, you are now deputized to look out for our brand. Bad, you need to stop it. <laughs> yeah. so, I, so you are the brand police, I then, literally. Brand police. Yes, I do have a badge. And yes, I, I pull it out whenever I need to, if needed. But, um, but moving on to uh, business development, one of the things with within ECS, our culture, is that we, um, when we hire our engineers, part of their job is to build client relationships. Part of their job is to go out and shake hands and introduce themselves and get a circle of, of clients around them and then continue to grow that circle. And that is scary for a lot of these um, engineers that that's not their happy place. That's not their comfortable place. 
And so part of business development is to guide them, take them to meetings, help make those intros, maybe even set up the meeting and just bring them along and get those conversations started. I think we have a whole team within the company of about 20 people across the country that that's their job. That's their job is to just help open the doors, help to bring these engineers with them, help the engineers to grow their network. And then the other thing is to encourage them to get involved in professional associations, because that's the only other way for them to really get their own network visually and being seen as the leader and the technical leader. It's been a lot of fun to set that up. And I'll jump ahead to COVID time. Imagine being a business development person and not being in front of anybody, not being able to go and give them a hug and shake hands or meet for lunch. It's been a tough road, but I think we've done a really good job with it. I would say maybe, maybe three weeks into COVID, we had a call with some of our technical folks and we said, let's, let's start providing um, webinars that we would provide AIA, um, PDHs, learning units, and let's be consistent and let's do it every Wednesday. And every Wednesday at 11 o'clock, we have a webinar and we provide the service to our clients. But the other positive thing is we're also pushing it out on social media and we're getting people from California. We don't have an office in California yet, but I'm just saying that we're, we're getting visual, um, we're being out and about, even though we're not physically out in, in front of the clients, we're, we're being seen as leaders. We're seen as people that have um, technical expertise. We are getting opportunities that we normally would not have gotten because we are taking this step because of COVID, trying to stay in front of our clients as much as we possibly can. And then I would say the other thing is all these associations, now that we're virtual, it's a lot easier now for some of these folks to to join in on some of these calls. Um, We're encouraging our engineers to still stay consistent and in front of our clients making those phone calls. I believe it is helping and paying off. And And the Good news is they're doing it right from the safety of their own desk. So they're not having to go out and network, but then yet they are still able to pick up the phone call and build that client relationship. How has technology affected your business now that, I mean, this has been a jolt, I assume this whole Zoom, you know, technology that we're all dealing with. How has that affected business development beyond what you've said? You've had the webinar. I mean, how has that affected your interface with your clients per se? So I love the one good thing, extra good thing about COVID, I guess, if I had to have good things about COVID is that I have um, created leads groups that are company-wide, either within the BD team that will have a call every two weeks, which Mm -hmm. we never really had that consistency before. It was like, well, hey, maybe let's make a phone call this quarter. Let's catch up with each other. Well, we're doing it actually every two weeks within our team which has been great because we are sharing information that probably we hadn't shared in the past because we're so busy before we were running crazy directions everywhere. Well, now we're all consistent and we can share every two weeks. The other thing is I've created some leads groups within the industry and I have a retail one that we call have people about six people on that call every Tuesday. And we, and it's folks that we share content and information and what are we hearing and what do we know about? That's a consistent call. And then I have another one with just a bunch of girlfriends in the industry that we just have a cocktail and we catch up with each other. And, and um, I find that a lot of these calls, now that they're more common, um, people are more available and people are happy to make a phone call and happy to take your call. And 
And I will say one other thing is I've been doing a lot of virtual conferences, which is a whole new concept for me because I I used to travel a lot. And they are creating chat rooms and they're creating mm-hmm. these um, right. databases where you can connect virtually. I'm actually getting in front of people that I normally would have never been able to get in front of because I, I've actually tracked them down. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm more of like a stalker and I find them online uh, through the conference and I, and I can find them. Whereas before I would have to be in person being a stalker trying to find them. So it's, it's been working out really well. You file, and I'm, I'm leaving this open for everybody to answer a little bit. Do you find that, you know, because you can't be out as much, you are more pointed in your marketing efforts as far as, okay, I've got a list of people I've got to reach out to. And are people more receptive now because they're overwhelmed at a conference, let's say, with people trying to get to them? Now, you know, they're saying, wait a minute, I'm not hearing from everybody like I used to. So now maybe I be, might be more open to, to listening at this I, point. I'll just I'll jump in to say I every single phone call that I've made of a, of a cold call or somebody I've met through LinkedIn that I said, hey, it would be possible to set up a call. They, they have been very consistent. They've been um, forthcoming. Everybody is interested in chatting. I feel like sometimes these Zoom calls can get tiring. I hate to admit that. And it's nice to actually talk on the phone sometimes um, and, and make a new new connection. And I feel like a lot of these businesses are, are wanting to keep their business, the pipeline full. And so they're happy to talk to new people. So I think that's been another positive thing. Yeah, I agree with that, JC. You've had that same sort of experience as we, you know, reached out to to different groups. People have actually come to us. We, our research team has done a great job. We've been trying to be a resource and with interest rates low and you know what's going on in the market, who's, you know, what's selling, what's not, you know, what kind of COVID trends are you seeing? You know, people want more. They want a one bedroom and den versus just, you know, a, a new apartment or, or a new condo. Um, so being a resource to the, the to our clients and prospects has been great, but everyone's been very open to, hey, let's hop on a call or Zoom, whatever it might be during these times. And mastering the Zoom pitch is definitely something that we've done. And <laughs> you you uh, sort of redirect how you do things, maybe scale things back a little bit, but also hit the high points. And you can be pretty strategic in that approach. And people have been very reception, receptive in our world as well. Tasha, why don't you pile on what uh, the other two ladies said? about what they suggested, and then add into uh, the internal guidance piece on yeah. interfacing the public. Uh, well, I mean, these, these ladies did a great job, and much of what they do and have experienced, I, I've done as well, either in previous roles or in my current role. You know, it's a little bit of that brand police. It's about, you know, being consistent with messaging and preparing <laughs> your team. Done all of those things myself, and, you know, my current role, I'm helping us buy new new business and prospects, but again, helping our executive team, making sure that we have all the information we need. And to Vicky's point, taking those little nuggets of you hear in a conversation or, you know, on a call to say, hey, you know, it'd be really great to highlight this in our next pitch. Let's make sure we add this, you know, key fact in or something, you know, another bit of experience that we might not have um, highlighted previously. I was actually on a call just prior to this, an internal Zoom for a last minute pitch that's going to be later this afternoon. And, you know, we had to pull together all those key facts and, you know, sales volume and how many projects have we sold, that type of thing. And I found out this morning at 10 a.m. <laughs> so um, that's when you feel, you know, that you're, you've got that job security to say, well, I know where that slide deck is. I know where this PowerPoint is. I know where this fact is. I can find it. I can get it to you in the next half hour. <laughs> so a lot of our world is that 
And I think, you know, you, your own brand is important and you're adding to your company's brand. So it's not just having the right, you know, materials. It's how you present yourself and your interactions. And that comes as a company from your leadership, the top down and, you know, leading your teams internally, how you would expect to be, you know, your leadership to lead you, I think is important and being a good example. So that's how I sort of approach my job and my role. And when I manage my, my, my team internally, um, and also saying, hey, think about how you, you're presenting yourself, whether it's on a call and you're, you know, calling to do some market research and you're talking to somebody else saying, oh, I'm with Urban Pace, you know, making sure you present yourself the right way on the Zoom or on a call um, or back, back when we used to be able to go out and see people in real life person, right? <laughs> um, which started starting to see a little bit of that in some outdoors, outdoor COVID safe, you know, social distance setting which has been nice, but um, I think really understanding how you are perceived as an individual within your company and how that adds to your overall team is important. I think that's important internally when I was at CBRE and managing my team to, you know, I had a couple of younger people on my team that they would just kind of space out in meetings and start looking up in the air. And I was like, wait a second, like, <laughs> you know, you're representing our team and that gets passed on to, you know, internal teams and external teams. So let's make sure that we're promoting ourselves the right way. And then that you know, and, you know, goes on to being promoted externally. And I think that's all really important. And all of my roles that I've been in, I've had the luxury of working with the executive team or being a part of it. And I think to Vicky's point, having a seat at that table is, is really important for you to be able to effectively communicate your company on your own and help your team around you prepare if they're in a presentation or a meeting to making sure to make sure that they're saying the right things and setting themselves the right way. And just thinking about the little things that sometimes sometimes people forget. So uh, on a regular basis, you know, we're back in the day when we were going to pitches. It was like, okay, does everyone like your tie's a little bit crooked? Let's make sure that you know we look our best. And a lot of times that we were the most you know overdressed people in the room. We were wearing suits and you know heels and and suit coats when you know a lot of the people we were pitching might not be as as formal as us. But we saw that as a part of our brand and how we wanted to be very thought of as very professional, a great resource, and in addition to whatever team that we're presenting to and. We take our, our roles and what we do very seriously. And our brand is important to us from a you know individual perspective and also a company perspective. So quite often you're not on the client pitch itself. You might be setting somebody up, and especially in the brokerage area. So they're actually doing the pitch. You're not involved. It would vary. My current role, I'm in all of our pitches. When I was at CBR, if it was, CBR, if it was a developer pitch, I would enjoy those occasionally. But sometimes it is just preparing you know, some of my team for a pitch. It's a nice balance, um, but for the most part now I'm involved in those. So it is a lot of the prep up front, but also joining in in those meetings, which I, I quite enjoy. The other thing that you talked about top down, to me, there's also the bottom up effect too, which is in essence, you're the client, you're meeting the clients physically and top management doesn't know unless they hear from you what's going on what the reaction was to the presentation and to the to the message that was sent so it seems to me that that role internally is to share with top management as well what's going on at the at the street level am i sure. right with that yeah. sure and i think a lot of that and i know vicky and, and tracy can probably attest to this as well like a debrief is very important whether it's internal like after a call like how did that go what could we have done better or, hey, I was out in an event or I had a Zoom and somebody gave me some feedback about, you know, this project or this process. I think mm -hmm. the communication is really important to successful team and, you know, for the leadership to communicate to their team and also for the people to share 
feedback and have that be a constructive and collaborative experience is important. And I think that's kind of a really successful firm and company that they can take some feedback, whatever direction it's coming from, um, and use it to their to their advantage and to better themselves or their process or their team approach to something because um, that's important. I'll jump on that as well. And and John, it's really the feedback loop is right. so important from the bottom up, top down, that feedback loop. It also is something that I will say that I have struggled with at every company that I've been with. And the larger the company gets, the more difficult it is to have meaningful feedback loops. And it's something that has to be truly um, cultivated and over and over. And John, you're absolutely right. We rely on the feedback from everybody that's out there interacting with business partners, with clients, with whatever it is, networking in an industry event. And that helps us as the brand police, you know, to what Travis said, because when we can hear how people are really talking about the organization on the street, that shows us, or it can give us some insight into where, what are we missing? Where do we need to refine our message? Something's getting lost in translation. And the only way to get that sometimes is through those feedback loops, which are really hard to keep and, and to make them relevant. People just, you just don't think about it. Everyone's so busy. You're out and about and you, you catch something during the day and you go, oh, when I get back to the office, I really need to get on a marketing. I don't know. I heard that. Well, five other things have happened since then. And, and that idea of going and telling somebody, you wake up in the moment, oh, I forgot to tell them that. It's gone again, Right. So the feedback loop is something I think that's really important for us in marketing and communications in order to continually be able to refine and hone in on the messaging and make sure that we're pivoting to have the right message out to the audience and especially correcting any inaccuracies. Are there systems that any of you use that to, to manage that process out of curiosity? So I will jump in that we actually do a client survey um, after project. And it's a really quick survey and we get feedback every quarter or I, I'm, I believe it's every month or every quarter um, that we get a report that'll give us um, some feedback from clients. Our webinars, we actually have a form that they fill out when right after the webinar is finished. And it's just a real quick, you know, do you have any comments? Do you have any classes that you'd like to see? And surprisingly, we have a ton of comments and they're really great. I mean, they're, they're like, hey, I really like this class. Could you teach one on XYZ? which is great for us because we mm-hmm. wanted to come up with new content. But I feel like it's it's kind of a real easy, electronic, very easy push to find out what's happening. And we've been great to get some feedback right away. And we use it. That's, that's great. Okay, well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and uh, go back to your origin story to some extent, just a little bit, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, what characteristics that you learned either in your youth or your education that you found most useful in your professional life doing what you do. So I'll let any one of you start, whoever wants to jump in. One of the things that I've been, have tapped into and and really found useful in in my career is uh, I've always played sports and it was always team sports for the, the most part of my a young life and into my adult life, but playing softball and just understanding, you know, that teammate, that team bonding and how you're, you know, you've got, you've got your part of the, the role and your role to play on the team and how important it is to not let your other teammates down and how you want to do well and, and work together and help each other out if somebody's getting down and 
jump in when you need to. Um, I think that's been very valuable. And I see that coming into play on a regular basis, you know, daily in my, my life and my career. And I think that's really important. And I, I think that you can see that there's certain characteristics that team athletes come to the table with in their career. It's been fun because it's also a competitive um, aspect that I have that I think is important that, you know, keeps you on your toes, keeps you wanting to learn and do better and do things differently and grow. So the sports aspect has been really uh, valuable to me. Well, obviously, communications is critical in sports, too. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I can jump in. So my dad was 30-year um, Army colonel. And so we had to move around every three years. And I'm an only child. And so imagine every three years having to meet new friends every single time. Brand new house, new neighborhood, new school. I remember saying to my dad one time, Dad, you know, this is really hard. And he goes, well, I can't quit my job. So you're going to have to make the best of it. And you're going to have to go in that room and make friends. And so I feel very fortunate because that was a great learning experience for me that I can actually, I don't have a problem going into a big room and making some friends and walking the room and not feeling intimidated when I go to a conference. Of course, I don't go to a conference anymore because they're all virtual. But anyway, but I'm just saying I, I have that skill. I actually enjoy taking someone that maybe is not as comfortable and making them feel comfortable. I love being able to leave a meeting with someone that I brought and, and they see a whole different demeanor because they feel more confident and they, they did it and they, they came away with some client information or they made a new contact and that wasn't that scary. And um, I really enjoy, that's like, that's like my favorite part of who I am is that I, I like to make other people feel comfortable and grow. So it wasn't natural for you. You, you had, that was a learned thing for you to do. Just to, just yes, to. believe it or not. It, I just, I like to talk. <laughs> I, I like to be, I like to have a positive attitude, but honestly, I just did not want to have to move every three years. And it was a tough, it was a tough thing to go to a new high school to transfer in, um, to not have any friends, to have to make new friends. And I did it. And I feel strong because I did. Well, you make it sound natural anyway, because mm-hmm. you just, you are comfortable with people. So it's clear. I, I joke here at ECS that they shouldn't pay me because I actually <laughs> do this for fun. You know, I mean, I enjoy <laughs> my job so much that it's, it's really not hard, but I don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> Vicki, any thoughts? For me, I think it's curiosity. I grew up with a brother and a sister, a a single mother who was working all the time. And you just had to kind of figure things out on your own. And I think it led me to be a little bit more curious and probably forced into situations younger of just figuring it out, um, as Tracy said. And I think that that does help to kind of shape, I guess, the way that I approach things now. Did that help you in the in the in the marketing aspects? I mean, in the in what you do. I mean, is that those that curiosity is what kind of drives you to some extent? Yes, I think that's what also helped to lead to you know trying the different opportunities at at different companies, right? Real estate space and okay, you know, yeah, I I do, I do think that played into it. Maybe a little restlessness, but curiosity. Yeah, we. I will say my husband and I moved 13 times in 12 years. Wow. All locally. Yes. We, I love change. Love change. (laughs) 
Okay, that confirms now. <laughs> You've made your changes. That's interesting. How did you all learn about marketing and this, what you do and all that? And what attracted you to real estate? I mean, why the real estate sector, not other ones? So whoever wants to jump in on that one, go right ahead. So I went to college and I had a degree. I was um, going after my business, Bachelor of Science in Management for business. And I wanted to have my senior year, the best senior year ever. And so I took all these classes during the summer. So I only had to take the minimum classes to for my senior year, 12 credits, right? So I was just going to have the best senior year with my sorority. And the first week of school, my uh, guidance counselor pulls me aside. She said, do you know if you take these four extra classes, you can have a double concentration and you have marketing and management. I was like... Okay. And so I ended up taking 8.30 classes, 8.30 a.m. senior, which totally sucks. And I took those classes. And honestly, I found out that I enjoyed marketing way much more than the business management side, which I want to thank that guidance counselor for making me get up and go to 8.30 classes on Friday mornings in college and and, um, pushing myself. And I found that I really enjoyed that side of the business. And so when I graduated, it was 91, which was a horrible year to graduate. There weren't any jobs for a lot of the seniors coming out of college. And so basically, I took the Washington Post, and I just looked for the word marketing. (laughs) And that's all I did. That's how you went for a job. You looked at the paper, and I um, submitted my resume. And it turns out um, Rolf Jensen um, reached out to me and said, hey, we, we do have a marketing coordinator job. And I had no idea about commercial real estate. I had no idea anything. And I just totally went in green and look at me where I am now. <laughs> That's great. So I have a very similar story to Tracy. I graduated in 90, right before Tracy. And it, it was not a, you know, a great year to enter the market. You know, I think every couple of years, everyone says that, you know, they, they graduate and it's just not a good time to find a job. I was fortunate enough to land a job at White Flint Mall temporarily at the concierge center. And I was just doing that while I was trying to figure out um, what opportunities might lie ahead, not really sure what I was going to do. And the marketing team at the mall worked very closely with the concierge center. And I ended up interacting with them and and they asked if I was interested in in joining the team on a permanent basis. And I, I loved it. I was really intrigued and really interested in commercial real estate. And at that point, you know, retail in particular, and again, in the malls. And it was, it was, you know, just by the right place at the right time. And it turned out to be a really good fit. But you know, that isn't, you know, typical for everyone. I I have so many of the friends that I graduated with the the same situation, they graduated, not sure what they're going to do. We all have degrees and didn't click with an opportunity right away. And, you know, it took them a lot longer to find what it was that was passionate for them or what they were interested in. So, you know, some of it's just luck and being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I I also will add on to that, though, that when you do explore it for anyone out there new, trying something new and you do explore, if it feels like it's a square peg in a round hole, it probably is. And you know, you don't need to spend more time trying to make yourself fit into a situation. There's so much opportunity out in the world and there are so many, you know, every company is different, even if it's in the same industry. 
culture is different. The way they approach the business is different. The people that you work with on a day-to-day is different. And so if it's not a good fit, you know, move on, look for something different because eventually I, I, I don't remember any conversation I've had with somebody that's in their 60s that says, I never did anything I enjoyed doing at work in my career. Somewhere you're going to find it, but it's having the perseverance to, to be true to yourself and continue to try and find it. I think that's a, a great comment, Vicki. And myself, I, I kind of stumbled into real estate. I have a biology degree from college. I mentioned, you know, the sports and team aspect of things. I played college softball and I really got into, you know, a lot of my science classes and I thought about going into some sort of you know, sports related field of like, you know, sports medicine, something like that. And I did take a lot of business classes too. I thought about sports marketing, much to like what Tracy mentioned, I right out of school, I was like, I'll just look for a job with marketing and then I'll figure it out. So, you know, just get a job and kind of get my foot in the door somewhere. And I applied for a marketing coordinator role. It happened to be an engineering firm and sort of like just jumped right in from there and, you know, went to the development side from there. And it's been great. I think the part of just learning people, like meeting new people, learning and all aspects of real estate, it's a very people like relationship driven business. And I enjoy that quite a bit. And the marketing side has just been something that I really enjoyed and I've grown and I've learned so much in all of my roles and, and different uh, projects that I've worked on. Um, it's been great. So despite my biology background, um, I feel like I was you know, sort of teed up to always be a, a marketing professional. Why do companies uh, need your role internally instead of hiring a third-party consultant to perform functions you provide? Is it because of the guidance that we talked about earlier internally? Why wouldn't a CEO say, you know, we'll just bring in a marketing firm to help, you know, figure things out and that should be enough as far as that. How do you see your role as far as keeping it all together in essence internally? I would say, John, that I think it's the same in marketing as it would be for any function. I think, uh, you know, in most organizations, the majority of functions could be outsourced in one way or the other. And I think we, we've all seen that there's value of having some of those functions in-house, not just from a cost savings perspective, but somebody that's inside the organization that understands the culture, that understands the business strategy that is in the office every day and sees the nuances and the changes and the shifts as they're happening and being able to go and make sure that you're communicating out to the vendors and and the third parties that you're working with to support you on on some of the things that you don't have the bandwidth to do in-house. I've always relied on external marketing partners through ad agencies, PR agencies, graphic design firms, you know, so many different vendors that we work with. And, and in my opinion, they're extension of the team. But I don't know if they would be as effective if they didn't have somebody that was helping to guide them that did have the insight and, and the inside knowledge of what was going on in the organization on a day-to-day. In marketing, I think it would be very difficult, at least in commercial real estate, in our market, in the com- size companies that we're all in, it would be very difficult to have every function of marketing handled in-house. It would just require such a huge team and such an enormous amount of equipment. And you talked about technology earlier. 
you know, marketing, one of the challenges with marketing is, is the technology platforms themselves. I mean, every six months, there's something new and updated and changing and trying to be able to keep up with that and, and keep up with what's the next best and greatest thing that this organization can use to help us, you know, meet our growth goals faster. Anyway, I kind of went off on a tangent there, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, I think I agree. I agree with Vicki 100%. And I think part of our goals is helping to prioritize, right? And having our own firm's best interest. And I know with a lot of my agencies or PR consultants and stuff that, that we work with, a lot of my time or a lot of times I'm like, oh, wait, you know what? I know we talked about these three things, but right now this is the top priority. Things shift in our world. I feel like our day, no, no day is ever the same, right? The priorities are always shifting. Like to my point earlier, I got a call today. We have a pitch at two. So drop this, do this, you know, get ready. So helping our team both internally and those external vendors we're working with really prioritize those types of things is important because you would never know if you weren't internal that something just popped up, you know, and you call the agency and say, I need this right away. There's, you know, they'd be like, well, what are you talking about? But we have that inside knowledge to help our team prepare and say, I got this. I'm going to talk to this vendor and help them know we don't need project X from last week. We need to shift to project Y because this is what's the highest priority right now based on everything that's happening. So I think that's the value we bring, you know, to the team being there to manage those those vendors and also push the creative side. And to Biggie's point, the technology. A lot of those vendors will come to us and agencies say, hey, have you heard about this? No, it's great. Let's try to implement that on our next marketing campaign, something like that. So it balances out each other nicely. It's a a win-win, I think, to have our roles and then those partners on the outside as well. I just jump in that once the company gets bigger and trying to keep that message consistent and trying to keep the brand consistent, to have an internal branding police, as you say, to have that person to be constantly watching and being aware of what's happening. If you were to have an external vendor, they're not going to know. They're not going to know if somebody changes their signature block or somebody changes the logo and puts out a proposal that um, they used an old template. They're not going to know that. So it's really having the boots on the ground to be able to see what's happening on a day-to-day business. Okay. So why real estate? Why are you in this in this business, this crazy business of real estate? And what turns you on about the real estate industry? And get into another segment. And then why is it so male dominated? You know, our industry is, I don't know, probably 75, 80% guys, uh, at least in the general transactional business and in a lot of the other segments and the vendors involved. Where the ladies are involved is primarily what you do and also often in the retail sector, which is obviously 80% female-driven. So talk a little bit about uh, first the real estate side and then the male-female thing, your thoughts. The real estate side, I fell into it (laughs) just because I answered an ad. But I found that once I got um, acclimated into really what this industry was about, it's very exciting to walk, drive past a project and say, we worked on that. We worked on that. We worked on that. You know, it's just, it's, you take ownership. You take ownership and it's, and it's, you're proud. You're proud of what your company does. You're proud to tell the world, you know, we, we worked on that project. And, and it's fun for me to be chatting with folks that are totally not in our industry at all. My husband's a eye doctor. And so I hang out with a bunch of eye doctors, um, like at an eyeball conference, which you have to laugh, you know. <laughs> And so I'll talk and somehow it'll shift to commercial real estate and I'm able to hold my own 
I'm able to have conversations and they're like, wow, that's really interesting. Tell us more, you know? And I feel like I am in a pretty cool industry. I mean, it's, it's always in the news. You're always hearing about new projects. I feel like being in commercial real estate, you're really on the growing end of infrastructure. You know, it's, it's just really exciting. I enjoy it. And then I would say as far as being female, you know, the male-driven industry, I've seen a lot over the 20-something, 30, almost 30 years of experience being in this industry. I feel like it has made a shift. There's a lot more women in professional positions within the company's leadership positions. I know in engineering, there aren't that many women going through the program. And I feel like um, we're trying to do more of the STEM exercises going to schools as the girls are younger and really trying to push them into saying, hey, engineers, engineering is cool and science is cool. I'm trying to get more women into the, that industry as far as the professional degrees. I laugh because I tell a story of um, I went to a NAOP, a National Association Industrial Office Property. I went to a national conference one year and it was literally 95% men, 5% women in the, in the big room. And then literally the week after I went to Crew Commercial Real Estate Women National Conference, and it was like 95% women, 5% men. And they literally had some of the people from each panel speaking at each conference. And I thought, that is just really something to see the difference. Um, but I feel like some of the professional organizations like Crew are helping women um, actually get out there and, and get their voices heard and, and get a seat at the table. Was the conversation different at those conferences? Yes. Were the questions different? <laughs> I feel like the NAOP conference was a little bit more focused on the projects, whereas the commercial real estate was also about the projects, but the, it was also had a spin on how can I get at that seat at that table or what can I do to further my career or what other network can I get connected to within this room to help grow? Because um, it's women helping women. Tasha or? What I like about real estate and my world and my role is it's fast paced and there's always something exciting going on and things are constantly changing. I'm like, like Vicki, I like change. I like things to be a little, you know, different each and every day. And I can't just sit behind my desk all day. So, you know, being able to go to meetings and that type of stuff, it, it energizes me and meeting with people. And I love the, the social aspect of real estate, whether it be in person or, you know, Zooming these days. That's always just been a lot of fun for me and to be able to mix the, the people side with the creative side. It's like an ideal sort of you know marriage to me to be able to have a role that has both sides of it. I think from the perspective of male versus female is, you know, such a male dominated industry. It has changed and, it, and it's, it's shifted in the right direction. I think there's, you know, more change that needs to happen when it comes to that and, you know, all types of um, diversity. And I feel like in light of um, some of the, the you know things that have happened in the world um, since the beginning of this year and sort of the you know call out for some for change and you know social social justice and a lot of things um, it's really making this a priority to a lot of firms and companies and they may have talked about it a little bit in the past and say oh we're trying to get more women on our board or have more you know diversity and you know on our executive team but I feel like um, I've attended quite a few webinars where people are really making the effort, making some key decisions and even having people step down from boards to make room for other, you know, other candidates that might not have had that opportunity in the past. I think that that's important to 
for people to take seriously and that it seems like it's really transitioning. So um, I'm encouraged by that. And I hope that there's more of that to come in the future. I agree with that, Tasha. It has been really interesting, encouraging, uplifting to see the focus really over the last 10 years of trying to encourage more women to enter into the commercial real estate fields and all of the associations and that, you know, they have other committees or, you know, focus areas where they're trying to further develop women executives in the commercial real estate space and just support a women's network in the commercial real estate space. And it has been amazing to see, you know, the changes that have been actually implemented and the impacts it's making over the last 10 years. I think that momentum has has really picked up this year with Black Lives Matter, with civil unrest, with really pulling back the curtain and opening up the eyes to everyone of, you know, the diversity, underlying diversity area issues that we have in our country. And I think it plays out in in every company and in every industry, why there aren't more males on the marketing side in commercial real estate. That I'm not sure. I would say that when I first started in commercial real estate, it was much more touchy-feely of a discipline. It was very visual, not that it's not now, but you didn't have as much of a data and kind of budget lens to marketing when I first started that you do now. You know, there is so much more now with research and data and it didn't exist before. The discipline has also changed over the years. And I Mm -hmm. do more males being interested in it. And I don't know if it's because the way the discipline is changing or if it's because there's more support and more real effort into kind of removing all of the gender labels within career paths in any industry that it's no longer, well, you're a woman, you should look at marketing. Well, you're a man, you should look at you know, being an analyst or a developer. Engineering or whatever, yeah. That's just happening culturally everywhere. And I think we're starting to see that play out in marketing as well. But it's going to take some time, like everything, you know, change, change takes time. Women are moving into senior positions more and more, but not, maybe not fast enough for, from some perspectives. How do you think the female perspective has affected the industry? as people have gotten into more senior management roles, ladies have, your role, your position, your thoughts? I think it's shifting the balance of power a little bit. It's still more common to be in a meeting in the office, in the commercial real estate industry, where around the table, we're outnumbered. Women are outnumbered to men. I still think that's, you know, probably more common. What perspectives the ladies add do you think that have been missing from the conversation with predominantly men in the in the room from your perspective? I will I feel like sometimes women can be aware of a lot of things going on and we can bring different perspectives in. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about the client side sometimes versus just the numbers, relationships. Mm-hmm. I think we're also very we're quick on our feet 
honestly. I mean, we're, we're used to doing a lot of different things and juggling. And so I think um, being in a conference room where things need to happen quickly, I think we, we're right there. We can totally hold our own and, and maybe set the example. Yeah. And I think to Tracy's point, like balancing things out a little bit, right? There's an intuitive side to, I think, uh, you know, something that I can bring to the table. I will read the room a little bit differently than my, you know, male colleagues to say like, oh, did you notice that guy, you know, at the end of the table, he, he fuzzed out at this point, like we overdid it there, you know, and that's part of that debrief and following up after the fact, but really bringing that perspective to the table to say, oh, I noticed this, you know, and maybe somebody else is so focused on their part of the pitch that they didn't, you know, realize that. So. I think it's you know sort of like the yin and the yang, right? You're balancing everything out to have both sides of a male and female perspective is important. And the more we balance that out in you know a, a conference room or in, on a board, I think it just adds value to whatever you know firm that is or whatever organization you're part of. Anything to add, uh, Vicky? No, it's interesting. Just with us, not for the. It's just interesting to watch all of this change over time and how metered. I feel I need to be when I answer a question because if it would, you know what I mean? If we were just speaking frankly, we'd probably be like, well, come on, because women are this, 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 and this. Yeah. <laughs> you, you work now for a female CEO, which That's is right. a brand new experience for you to some extent. So how has that been different than coming over from JBG, which senior management only has maybe one lady in it? Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity. It's very refreshing. I will tell you, and, and this is not for the show, what I've noticed the most is the men that have been used to being in male-dominated conference rooms and senior roles and interacting only with males, to see the change in their personalities, even the way they walk around the office when it's a female leader versus a male leader. Interesting. A lot less testosterone always (laughs) and i don't mean that in terms of just embodiment i mean i understand you know it's less bravado more inclusive Mm -hmm. it's in my opinion my experience i should say my experience has been with women leadership it's more inclusive Mm -hmm. maybe that's because we've been working on that our whole career when we go to join ULI and, you know, I joined ULI, but I joined the Women's Leadership Initiative. You know, I might. So I think that there's, we're used to having conversations of recognizing that women have had uh, more challenges to overcome because it is a male dominated industry. We're used to having that conversation. And I think we were, we have been not trained, but educated to lift one another up and not be competitive with one another. We all bring something valuable to the table and to lift each other up and be partners and we want everyone to be successful. And I do think that that is a little bit different than where I've seen some men approaching it, where it's much more about their individual self growing and climbing the ladder versus the collective whole. Less collegial maybe than than you than yeah. among the ladies are. And I think that more women are not great about saying how great they are. <laughs> Loading themselves the right yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. So Effectively. Have, I so I will use me as an example is um I had my review with my boss and I basically said I've been here 20 years and and I deserve this. 
and I want to do this. And I, it was hard for me to, to stand up for myself and say, this is what I want, even though I love my company because it's something different. And, um, and they listened to me, but it was, it was a tough conversation because I had to justify why I felt that I needed that position. And I feel like, I feel like men would be so much better at just going in and saying, this is what I want. This is why I get it. This is what I've done. And, or, and then they're used to doing that. Whereas women, it's hard for us to go that out of that comfort zone and how, how great you are. I think too, as a, as a female lead of a business unit, there is a lot more that I feel I need to do to promote and mentor and lift up my team and the other females and encourage self-empowerment, Tracy, like you just referenced, mm-hmm. and encourage to stand up for yourself, encourage to go and say, hey, I am good at this. And here's some examples. And, and to be able to you know, fight for yourself and fight for that seat at the table because you know, all the research is out there. It just isn't as inherent for, you know, for female leaders as it is for male leaders. Again, that's all changing and, and we're seeing the shift and it's exciting to be part of that. But I do feel as a female leader of a business line that there is, you know, more put into, and, and because the majority of my team is female, putting into it to help them empower themselves to be able to continue this growth of women taking on higher, more important roles, getting more respect and exposure in organizations, even if they're male dominated, and making sure that that continues and that this momentum is momentum that's going to continue growing and not something that's going to stall out because we focus. Anything to add, Tasha? No, I, I agree 100%. And I think you know, that awareness that we've had and sort of experienced throughout our careers is something that we, you know, we, we pass on and want to impart to others, especially if there's, you know, younger women on our team or others on our team that we're helping to, to grow in their careers. So sharing that information is important. And I completely agree with, with everything that, you know, Vicki and uh, Tracy said. So let's shift a little bit to the pandemic. I know we've talked a little bit about it earlier, but I want to get a little bit deeper into it. With the pandemic affecting everyone's business and personal lives, it seems that communications are more important than ever. How have you adapted in your companies to address both internal and external needs for of employees and clients and customers? We talked a little bit about the video aspect of things. Are there other things that you've had to adapt to internally and externally, other than just the video conferencing piece? I would say on the marketing side, you know, a lot of what we do is entertainment. I mean, we're in an industry where it is relationship driven and it is very important to have that face time and to not have and being able to figure out how to pivot and make it meaningful. You can't just replace a meeting with a Zoom call and think it's going to have the same impact. And so it's it's shifting everything. If we're going to lose a touch point because we're not in person at a conference, how are we going to make up for that in a meaningful way? And there are a lot of people that are more open and receptive to kind of pivoting and those new ideas. And there are some others that are just, hmm, you know, I'm just going to kind of wait until we're back in the normal world again. This whole video every five minutes isn't really my thing. It's going to be interesting to see how we emerge on the other side, because I do think that 
we're going to see some of these changes that have come along with us having to modify the way that we work because of COVID that will take hold as maybe a, a permanent way of working moving forward. I completely agree with that. And, you know, at this point, you know, we Zoom quite a bit during the week, but there's also times where we're like, let's just have a call. We don't have to Zoom every meeting that we have. And, you know, if we're looking at floor plans and talking to a client, that's one thing, or, you know, potentially pitching new business. But sometimes it's like, let's just hop on a call. And that is a little more refreshing these days. I think the other thing in our world that we really have always had as a part of our business is virtual reality and like renderings. But that's taken, you know, been taken to a whole new level. Um, we've set up all of our salespeople working on our various condominium projects with Zoom. They were doing a lot of stuff on FaceTime and doing tours that way, um, which has been something that, you know, has been a part of our business in the past. But that's really a key component now. And we've had people buy condos during the pandemic pandemic completely through a virtual experience. So I think that's something that, you know, that's going to give people opportunity if they're looking at real estate in different parts. You know, they might be coming from New York down to DC and they can do a lot more stuff virtually and that's going to be more common. I think that will continue to be the case even when things somewhat get back to normal. Um, but that's been a big part of how we've we've done things and really promoting that on social media as well, having the the you know Instagram videos and all sorts of things like, you know, Facebook lives at our different properties, that type of thing. It's been a part of our campaigns in the past, but it was taken to a whole other level. And I expect that to continue as well. Another th interesting thing is that none of us are commuting like we were. So that saves, <laughs> well, as much. Yeah. I mean, unless you're coming in every day, the office, but most people are not. And so that saves time and money both corporately and personally, I think. So it's, it's, there's more time built into your day. The question is, what are you using that for? Is it productive? Do you find yourself more productive now than you were or less so? And you know, why to some extent? I'm, I'm hybrid. So I go into the office a couple of days a week. This morning. Forgot my laptop charger and had to turn around and go home. <laughs> So there's other things to take into consideration because now you, you truly need to be able to be fully functional at each location, whether you're working in your home office, whatever shape that is, or in your actual physical building um, where your office is. That's been interesting. I, I would say that one of the nuances, I think, of, of during this pandemic and being remote, you know, you talked about losing the commute time. For me, I would take a long commute now just going through the pandemic. I would take a long commute in order to have the physical in-person collaboration and time with each other. Video is a wonderful alternative and it's helping us get through this period of time. But I, in my personality, I prefer to be in front of people. I still think that there's a, a lot that you get just seeing people when you pass them in the hallway to go get something from the kitchen. I'm not going to randomly call up, you know, somebody that is, you know, three halls over on a different team to say, hey, what's going on? Are you still working on that project? Because it's not relevant. I'm not going to take time out of their day. But if you pass them in the hallway and to be able to have that human connection and we're all working for the same company, so it's going to be intertwined. But um, for me, I, I do miss the interaction of, of being in the office with people. 
I agree with that. I, I definitely do. I think there's something to be said for that that quick collaboration. If there's a decision to be made, we just pop in someone's office and say, "Oh, let's look at this, you know, ad, or let's mm-hmm. talk about, oh, should we put this, use this, you know, color for this or that." And it's much more complicated to do that over a Zoom or call somebody or text someone. So it takes more time. I feel like we're all productive, but in a different way. You know, we're allowed to um, instead of running from, you know this meeting to this meeting and having to hop in an Uber or whatever, you can, you know, do three back-to-back Zooms and, you know, deal with three different clients and projects, but also don't have, you know, I think we're all set up, you know, and equip, equipped to do our jobs at home. It's just a little bit different. You don't have all the resources, including including the human element of resources from your team being around you. So we are productive, I think, as a company, and I feel like I'm doing it as best I can, but we also put more hours in because we're not commuting, right? That, it's not like those, those times are that time to give it back to you and, oh, have fun, be free. It's more hours to, you know, focus on it. And I think it's a little bit harder to pull away um, at the end of the day or, you know, to really separate your, your work and personal life when you're, you know, you're always on or have, you think you can always be on. And I'll do one more thing before I go to dinner downstairs or whatever. So I think everyone's working just as hard, if not harder these days. I've been back since June uh, here in the office. So I never quit working, but um, I will say I, I enjoy having a schedule where the alarm clock goes off. I take a shower <laughs> at a certain time of day. And then I, I drop my daughter off at school and I come here and I'm here during the day. I have a door on my desk so I can shut my door if I feel um, too much movement. But honestly, we all have offices with doors. So really, it's just me running to the coffee machine, waving to people and then going back. So I am getting that interaction from that person three halls over sporadically. But it is nice to still, I feel like I'm back with my family. You know, I, I, it's like we're all still here together, even though we're, we're in our offices. We're not doing any staff meetings anymore. Anything we're doing them through the Zoom calls or phone calls. But just knowing that there's somebody at this door, next door, is, is a great feeling that you can just pop over. I do love the short commute. Yes, I do. Oh, my gosh. So happy with the short commute. The other thing that's been really positive is that Sometimes I'll sign up for a webinar where it's a presentation, um, some panel speaking, and I feel like, you know what, this might be my perfect time to go do my power walk because I can get off get off this chair. So I'll put my earbuds in and I'll go power walk during that conference webinar. I'm not part of the webinar. I'm just a participant listening. And I'm actually way more focused because I'm not distracted with the door of my dogs the phone. I'm just right there listening to this conversation. And it's, it's been so uplifting. So I can do an hour power walk mm-hmm. of the day, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the other thing that's a little different is that I'm staying up later on work events because I'm on zoom calls, like seven o'clock, eight o'clock, <laughs> drinking wine. <laughs> a lot of these calls are happy hours. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to just put water in this drink today. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, spending more time with my family. My husband works crazy hours and because he's been able to control a little bit more with how many patients he sees during the day, he's actually home more. He doesn't have to do the night meetings anymore with his partners. They're all just doing a Zoom call at night. It's just, I, I'm enjoying it. That's great. So for young professionals that might want to pursue the real estate marketing profession, what characteristics should he or she have to succeed? What What do you think it takes to be great at what you do? For whoever wants to answer that. 
I would just say being flexible and don't get your feelings hurt. <laughs> don't yeah. take things personally. If somebody wants to change something that you're really passionate about, I think really having an open mind is key. Yeah. And not wanting too much structure. Each day is so different. And um, having that thick skin, I think, is important because, you know, not all ideas are taken and implemented exactly the way they may be presented. If it's, you know, just marketing campaign or, a, you know, I know when I was at CBRE, a lot of my designers were in tears at times because, you know, they didn't like this logo or this color was wrong. And, you know, it was just one of those things. It is about collaboration and, you know, the brokers were our clients and our, you know, clients currently, they're going to have different opinions on things. So, just understanding that and looking at the big picture with the best interest for the project or the campaign or whatever it might be. And just know that, you know, your day, day to day things are going to change and it's going to be fast paced. And if, if you're, you're good with that, it's a really fun, it's a fun industry and marketing can be, can be really creative and exciting. I agree with that. It's creativity, nimbleness, open-mindedness. And because a lot of what we do in marketing, especially on the branding side, is subjective to some degree, and everybody has an opinion and everybody has a favorite color, that you're willing to, you need to be open to take that feedback and not take it as criticism, and then be able to go and adjust and come back with an end product that is you know, what your client is looking for and feel good about that. Even though it may not be your favorite, you're doing it for the client. And as long as you're meeting their goals, I will say that if I could get through one day with only 25% of it being completely like unknown out of the blue, that would be a great day. And anyone coming into the industry, I think too, it's knowing in marketing You could have your day set, you could have your marketing plan set, you could have, you know, feel really confident when you're getting ready for the day that day that you know exactly what you're going to do and tick off this and call this person and do that. And within five minutes of getting into the office, that could be completely turned upside down with something that's taking an urgent, you know, urgent attention and to be flexible, you know, and be willing to say, okay, I can pivot, I can do this quickly. That's going to be priority. That's where I'm going to shift. You don't always have full control of your time. But that's, I think that's exciting as well. Well, this is, if you were mentoring somebody in your business, or if you're meeting somebody for the first time and they looked at you and said, what should I expect? Is that pretty much the message you would say to them? I, I think okay. it is. I, yeah. I would say to expect that, you know, yes, you are going to be, Spending the right amount of time being strategic and being thoughtful and putting together plans and doing the due diligence and the research and anything you need to do in order to put together the best plan possible. But the condition can change tomorrow and that plan can end up in the shredder. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine because our roles were internal service providers. So we're not driving the strategy, we're supporting the strategy. So any other lessons learned that you could share to the for the audience that you've, that you've picked up over the years, any of you? One thing that I, I've um, seen a lot of younger people do um, these days, and I think it's so valuable, is really, you know, we all kind of fell into this world, right? And as younger people, I think they're hearing more about real estate and commercial real estate and trying to understand what that what that means, but doing like informational interviews. And maybe you think you want to be in marketing or you want to be an architect or you know, what does an investment banker do? What is, you know, you do, you 
you know, you're on the mortgage side. What does that mean? How, how does that play into the industry? And I think having young people early on um, make, you know, do those, those calls to people and say, I'd like to hear about you and your job and how you got to that role and really understanding all aspects of real estate. Cause there's so many different, really important, you know, parts to it. And just because you may think you want to do something and you start in that world, that might not be it. And to Vicky's point earlier, that's okay. If you try something for a year or two and you thought that's what you wanted to do, then you want to transition. That's perfectly fine. You're going to take some valuable skills from what you learned there about what you liked and what you didn't and move on to your next role. And I think doing a lot of upfront research when you're very young in your career and just talking to different people about their their roles and each firm kind of defines those roles differently is really important and it's valuable. And I I've talked to quite a few young people that say, I think I want to get into marketing, but I'm not sure. Tell me about your day. I'm looking at different industries and what that what marketing means to them. I really, you know, see that as a really valuable exercise as people are young in their career. Anything to add, uh, ladies? I think you did a great job. That was awesome, Sasha. Agree. So ladies, if there's anything else you wanted to say before we let, let it go, I appreciate your time today. Any other final parting thoughts for anybody from anybody today? Okay. Well, yeah. thank you. Thanks, thanks for having us. We <laughs> really appreciate uh, your time and your candor. Well, I thought it was an excellent conversation, actually, particularly about uh, the roles of women in the industry today. It was pretty interesting to hear what you had to say about it. And I thank you for your time. And, thank you. Uh, thank you, John. That was great. So now I'm transitioning once again to the postscript with my sidekick, Tom Amos. And we talk a little bit about the marketing industry. And then Tom segues a little bit into today's political environment and some perspectives that he and I both have of uh, what's going on now and about leadership. So I hope you enjoy the, the postscript. Okay, so here were my thoughts for today. John, I always think of this quote whenever it, it comes to marketing that uh, John Wanamaker quote of uh, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. And uh, I think that at face value, it's like you hear that quote and you think, oh, well, well, it seems like a lot of money is wasted. But at the same time, I think that what was interesting while we're listening to these guests this week was kind of the persistency and grittiness of, of all three of the ladies, it kind of comes through. And, and I, I imagine it can be pretty difficult working marketing and, and putting so much time and effort. And a, a few of the, them get, get at this, that, that they put so much effort into you know, pursuing work and, and it may never bear fruit. And so I thought that that was, that was an interesting kind of thing that came through from these three guests. Well, it's, what's really interesting is the comment that Vicki made particularly when she said that, you know, because she worked in public companies for them for in marketing, she worked at, at uh, First Potomac Federal Realty and then ending up at JBG Smith when they went public, is it's really hard to measure the value that we, she said, we as marketing people add to the bottom line or to that. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, there's value, but you don't know where to find it. <laughs> you know, right. how do you weigh if she were if they were missing, it would be like a lot of pieces and no glue to pull it all together. So to some extent, they're like the adhesive that pulls together the overall message of the company mm. together. 
So that that's kind of the way I look at it. And so they add value, but they don't, you know, Vicki, for instance, did not, I asked her initially whether she would do this herself. And she pushed back. She said, no, as much as you think I would, I don't promote myself. I'm promoting who I work for. Right. And I don't feel comfortable promoting myself. So I said, okay, I know one way to do it. I thought, well, I'm going to get two of your respected colleagues on the, on with you. <laughs> so that's how it happened. Right. So I said, what about a panel? And she said, okay, now you got me. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for both Tracy and Tasha. So we're going to do that together. So that's the way it evolved. And I think it ended up being a good conversation, I think. So yeah, yeah, I think it went well. You know, the other thing that I didn't list here, but our whole construction, we just went through rebranding not too long ago. And I think that the importance of having that message and, and refocusing on that regularly you know we we are head of our marketing came in and they, they had some great you know new branding material but also just the message was always in process and and kind of refocus on that it's not something that i think a project manager like myself is thinking about regularly but it's so important and then when you're having those conversations about your company to be thinking about what are your ideals and, and what what is this company about is important and, and you can tell with the guests that that was something that they um you know have to be constantly reminding their teams about well the other thing is the dynamics of our business and their businesses every day is a new day and that's the thing i love about i loved about what i did for many many years and in, in uh finance and doing deals because I'd look at a new deal, a different project every day, practically, or if I'm into one deep, then I'm learning more and more about what's going on, either the underwriting or the due diligence or about the leasing or what's happening with the property. And they look at it in that, you know, for instance, they do a marketing plan for a project and the project, you know, if it's a ground up deal, it takes five years to get it to the point of stabilization sometimes. Well, the real estate markets change yeah. in that five-year period. So it's a whole different framework when the property is completed than it was when it was being conceived or the land was being acquired. So as they said, they throw out marketing plans all the time that they start with. So they build a plan, they think they're going a certain direction, and then all of a sudden something completely changes in the marketplace, they just have to throw out the trash and start mm -hmm. over. Yeah. So it's a constantly evolving process. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be a hard thing to deal with, you know, and um, yeah, it speaks to the toughness of, of well, the resilience that you have to have in that business. You think you're advocating for something that makes sense at that time, but then it doesn't make sense. Thank you for listening once again to Icons of DCA Real Estate. And I appreciate your uh, loyalty in following the, the episodes. If you like this program, please uh, go to www.coenterprises.com slash podcast forward slash podcast and cite a comment or two about your thoughts. And also you can jot an, an email to me at john at coenterprises.com. I really appreciate hearing from you. I work really hard to try to deliver some quality content and we're doing this now on a bi-weekly basis. So every Wednesday morning, you can expect a new episode. So thank you again for listening and I appreciate it.